on this episode of It's All Marketing. And he's literally like, hey, would you guys build me a website? I'll give you all the free pizza and beer you want. And we're like, sure. When I first saw it, I said, huh, they probably spent a lot of money. I don't think they're going to see really any sales from this at all. There are metrics and paid ads and different things where you can draw clear yeah. distinction to, to ROI. But there's a lot of pieces in marketing that is heavily implied. All right, you guys, welcome to another episode of It's All Marketing. Um, I'm, I'm your host, Alex McIver. Um, got my man, Mike Brevik here. Uh, CEO and, and founder of Cyberdogs uh, Marketing, and also the host of Brand Retro Podcast. Um, yeah, Mike, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so um, kind of like to give everyone just a, a brief um, overview of just your background, kind of like you know where you grew up, how you grew up. Yeah, so I grew up in a small town in Minnesota, and um, it kind of you know one thing kind of led to another when it when it when it comes to marketing and kind of how I got here, but started off um, kind of being an art kid in high school, you know, played sports and uh, did a lot of drawing and those kinds of things and, and ended up going to college for uh, what was called commercial art at the time, but it was basically to be an illustrator and a cartoonist. And shortly thereafter, uh, graduating from school, I, I started a small ad agency doing um, a lot of, a lot of design, graphic design stuff, but doing a lot of illustration and, and cartooning work as well. And over the years, that transition to print production, print marketing, um, into e-commerce and web development. And all of a sudden I spent, um, you know, 10 to 12 years in the, uh, retail space, uh, building out e-commerce and social media teams and, and kind of taking me deeper in that kind of space. And, Kind of the more time I spent um, kind of in the general corporate marketing sense, I, I developed kind of a, a perspective on um, agencies and how I thought, you know, maybe there was a way to do it differently, do it better, do it uh, a little bit more relationship based. And I was getting, I don't want to say burnt out, but I was kind of coming to the end of that road anyway. And, and looking back at how I had gotten to that point and kind of how one thing had kind of smoothly transition to the other in retrospect it's like well man how did I get here or what inspired this journey in the first place and it was always creativity and art and kind of being able to you know carve my own path and when I decided to leave the corporate world that was one of the things I wanted to come back to I wanted to kind of hit reset on that piece of my career and get back to the creative get back to the the idea that I could kind of carve my own path and that's what led me to start uh, my own business called Cyberdogs. I mean, that's awesome. Um, that sounds right in line of kind of where I'm at myself and kind of like my own career and everything. Um, yeah, kind of take me through. I, I want to go deeper into that for sure. Yeah. Um, I feel like that'd be perfect for kind of later on. Um, but yeah, so you said you kind of started off just being kind of creative, you know, when you were younger. What was your go-to kind of medium? Were you, you know, a drawer? Did you like kind of animation stuff? Uh, what was what was that, that creativity outlet for you when you were younger? You know, there was a lot of drawing, a lot of cartooning. Um, whether it was just you know kind of doing my own thing or trying to redraw comic book art or superheroes or whatever it was, 
um, I was just always, it was just always a skill that I had had, you know, all the way through grade school and, and into, into high school. And, um, somewhere around, I'd say 14, 15 years old, I, I had applied for what's called, uh, it was the Minnesota mentorship program. I'm probably not exactly right on that title, but it was, an, it was basically an art competition in which if you won it, they would assign you with somebody in the arts for like a mentorship program for like a summer. Mm. Nice. And I, I had applied, I went through the process, we did the whole art show thing, and I lost. Um, somebody <laughs> else got picked and whatever, and I lost. And uh, one of the local artists who judged the competition came over to my parents afterwards and basically said, hey, you know, I thought Mike did a good job, I thought he should have won, I'd like to offer him the mentorship program just on the side if he's willing to accept it or wants to do it. Wow. And... My parents kind of answered the question for me. They said, yeah, he'll do it. So of course. <laughs> they, they told me, well, here's what you're going to do this summer. Um, so I started going over to this guy's place a couple times a week. And, you know, basically he kind of my Mr. Miyagi in a way, like he kind of showed me the fundamentals of drawing, painting, the different mediums, how you could mix them together. But what was really interesting about kind of his process was that um, he had been a kind of standalone self-employed artist for at that time, probably 20 plus years. And he was a pretty locally famous wildlife artist. He had done some, you know, federal postage stamp artwork and like he was pretty accomplished in his own right. But the idea that this guy could sit in his house and paint pictures and do what he was doing and actually make a good living at it just was kind of mind-blowing to me at 14 15 years old um so after that i kind of got the bug for entrepreneurship to some degree but also kind of to kind of to pursue that that art kind of road but also how to mix mediums yeah. You know, so that was always something that I wanted to do and maybe didn't get to do enough of it in the corporate space as to why I started my own business. But now that I'm in my own business, this idea of mixing mediums. So like within the work that we do, like I'm always trying to bring in illustrators and how do we bring comic book art into this? Oh, how do yeah. we like how do we just mesh all these cool make things together? Make it authentic, and, make it like a, a yeah. kind of hodgepodge of these different things together. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Wow. Yeah, so that's kind of what led me to this point, and we're still figuring it out. But um, yeah, I mean, it all it all kind of came full circle in a way. I think you're kind of it's kind of weird that you said that. I have a similar kind of experience when I was younger. I also played sports and all that stuff. Um, but I was a member of the Boys and Girls Club, and this is back in Los Angeles, so Boys and Girls Club of Venice. And there's an art director there by the name of Lalo. Um, if anyone here is listening and went to the Boys and Girls Club or has any kind of presence at whatsoever in Venice, you know Lalo. Lalo was the artist for any this. He was the artist of all artists. He knew all different mediums. He knew graffiti. He knew tattoo work. He knew anything and everything. He would give me just, you know, just a pen or a pad and sit there and say, do whatever you want and just figure stuff out. Um, in terms of getting into this drawing, all that kind of just sparking creativity, I mean, he was the man for it. I mean, still to this day, I don't know a better person I would go to for any kind of art or creativity other than Lalo. And it's kind of like how you said with your guy, like he was a mentor for me as well. Um, and even though I played mostly sports and stuff like that, it was still just a, I don't know, it was weird. Every time I'd go see him, he'd have some kind of new project that he'd be like, hey, why don't you try and 
paint that or why don't you try and you know put this together you want to do some sculpting we got some clay in today and just be kind of you know playing around in different mediums like you said and um yeah it leads your brain into thinking different ways once you apply that kind of psychology into other kind of mediums you know such as marketing um yeah that's that's actually kind of cool that's really really cool um so then let's talk about like the art that you did do and stuff like that what was your did you have a painting or something like that where you were like, oh, this is, did you go show it off to people or anything? Were you, were you ever like, oh, I think I'm going to be a full-fledged artist. I'm going to take this like serious and kind of go down that route at all? Yeah, well, be, being from a small town, um, you know, when you're good at something like that, you kind of get a reputation for it. So I was commissioned to do all kinds of little side projects and, hey, can oh, wow. you paint my mailbox can you do this can you do that little stuff like that so i mean i guess it was kind of something i was known for at the time but like when i started working with this guy his name was gene but when i started working with gene um um you know i just i kind of wanted to just sponge as much as i could off of him because he yeah. was crazy talented from you know from the caricature kind of art form all the way to wildlife art i mean he could draw anything in between and probably paint it draw it like he, the guy just had crazy skills. he went to the art institute of minneapolis was his formal training and he had cross paths with and, and new people in the art such as uh, charles schultz who's the, the peanuts creator and like the guy's like back history was just insane but when i was working with him I mean, I was young, so I was 14, 15. There was a lot of, a lot of superhero comic book art, a lot of, a lot of pictures of Michael Jordan being drawn, yeah. uh, stuff like that. Because same he would for ask me, me. It, was, it was more Kobe with me in LA. Right. Yeah, same. He would ask me what I want to draw, and of course, I'm like, well, I'll draw Jordan again. Mm -hmm. So um, that was kind of what I was doing. But you know, it, for him, it was, uh, it was kind of interesting because kind of like. There was a method to his madness. He, he didn't really tell me that, and I didn't really know it at the time. But but he was teaching me different techniques by challenging me to do certain things or or draw certain in a certain way. And of course, I just did it, or I, I attempted to anyway, uh, without really knowing what the challenge was. And now that I'm older and I can look back on it, I'm like, man, he was kind of steering me around, and I didn't even realize it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Give me little lessons uh, later on that you didn't know that you were going to be using. Um, yeah, and yeah. it's worth mentioning too. Like at the time, what's crazy is, like when I say I'm from a small town in Minnesota, I mean there's 700 people, and oh wow, <laughs> 500 of those people are, you know, have white hair and are retired. So like, it was a very small town. And for this guy, what stands out is for this guy to be somewhat, you know, regionally well known and operate remotely this is all pre-internet so there's there's no emails there's no internet there's none of these things for him to make it in a small town and be that nationally kind of recognized it's crazy to think about like now now people work remotely all the time and yeah of course there's email internet you know whatever back then none of that exists so the the mountain that he had to climb to even make that happened was like wow that's impressive yeah so then let's let's kind of get to you and the start of your actual career so um you said you started an ad agency did you start your ad agency kind of first or did you work for someone first and then start your ad agency like what 
what was the beginning of your career just to kind of yeah. give a clear timeline no so when i was uh in my last year of college i i went down to my brother was a uh, teacher down in texas and i had went down there for spring break and as part of the trip i just decided i'm going to line up a few interviews and just practice because i know i'm coming to the end of my my college years mm -hmm. uh quickly and i just wanted to go get some interviews under my belt kind of work the kinks out and kind of practice um so i went down to south texas for um spring break and i ended up hitting those um those interviews and um they went well to the point where i ended up getting two offers from um these small ad agencies in south texas and I didn't really plan for that, but all of a sudden it's like, oh man, so now what do I do? I've got you know, whatever, four or five months left of school. So I went to my instructors and just said, you know, hey, how do I deal with this? And, and what I was really looking for was like, how do I, how do I put these guys off for four or five months yeah, until, yeah, I'm, so I can until keep I'm, job. <laughs> right, until I'm done with school. And, you know, again, I not young, not really knowing uh, colleges are all about placement. So they're like, man, we'll take the job. We'll, yeah. we'll, you know, we'll figure let you ride out. We'll figure it out later. We'll give you your grades and whatever. So that's what ended up happening. Um, they convinced me to accept one of the positions. They were going to just basically give me the grades that I had at the time and I would leave school early. Wow. So I ended up leaving school four or five months early, moved down to South Texas and started at one of these small agencies. And it was what's the position? What's the position that you're starting with? What's like the name of that position? Or I mean, he called me a graphic designer, but I was okay. I was graphic designer, I was production designer, I was art director. And I got lucky because you know, most people right out of school kind of have to earn their stripes. Yeah. You know, maybe they're designing black and white ads for a while, or maybe I didn't really have to do that. I got thrown into the deep end of the pool and I got to start on the good, the bad, and I mean, I got some good stuff in there too, but I just got experience with everything. So I would, you know, everything from graphic design to illustration, I was, I was able to kind of get experience with. And I spent about two years at that agency doing everything, um, you know, everything under the sun and even kind of learning the marketing process, the sales process and kind of how to commercialize it. Um, that's something out of school that I don't think, at least at the time, you don't, you didn't quite really understand. You knew how to do the job. You knew how to do yeah. the, the role, but how do you really, you know, take your art and your creativity and monetize it? You know, I don't know that they really taught that the same way when I got out of school. I feel like they still don't teach that. Um, I kind of had a somewhat similar experience in terms of while I was in college, I, I went to college in Vegas, went to UNLV, uh, started there in their marketing, um, you know, major in that in doing that program. And going through it, just not really feeling like this is not, this is teaching me how to just kind of like check boxes off a list, but this is not yeah. teaching me how to like be creative and make a, a, a striking, you know, campaign or really bring something to life necessarily. Um, yeah, that's actually kind of weird that you actually said that. It's just, I don't know, school, it, I don't feel like when you're really trying to get creative with things, school can be a hindrance kind of sometimes, um, especially yeah. in this industry. Well, especially when there's so many kids now coming out of school that kind of want to jump the line and they want to go right into entrepreneurship and they want to start mm -hmm. their own business right away. And I'm not knocking that, but it's hard to do that if you've never done it. If you don't yeah. know how to, if you don't know how to monetize your art or how to even operate a business, it's really hard to jump right into that. Oh yeah. Um, 
so for me that that first couple years and getting to watch and learn how that works not I'm not saying I learned everything in two years I didn't but at least I learned enough to know what I didn't know yeah and that drove and I point me you to... in that direction of like okay I need to go yeah. over here to figure all this other kind of stuff out so yeah. you said you kind had that sh- position at that age ad agency for like two years you said yep I was at that uh agency for about two years and it's it, I mean just we're talking on the other half of the country. So I just got to the point where, you know, I wanted to kind of go head back North, head back Mm -hmm. to Minnesota in this area. Um, So after two years, I moved back up here uh, to the Minnesota kind of, we're, we're about 25 miles from the North Dakota border, Um, but moved back up here and then um, found a job in printing um, in Fargo, North Dakota. And I was there about nine years. And that in itself was a, Again, another eye-opening process, learning all the kind of the back ends, tips, tricks, and intricacies of how to set things up to be print ready. Um, kind of color separation, color correction, um, working through like files and how to set them up properly for different applications. Um, so I was there about nine years and towards the end of that nine-year stint in printing was was kind of right when web development was becoming a thing. I mean, a lot of it was hard coded at the time, but there was a few WYSIWYG type interfaces like uh, um, there was Adobe page mill. There was, um, you know, different kind of different, maybe one or two different uh, softwares that would allow you to do it without being a full on programmer. Mm. And I was using a lot of those and self teaching myself in a lot of those different areas a Dreamweaver was a big one at the time, um, using a lot of those anyway. And and I kind of started to recognize another gap in my my process was that whenever I would go to a web developer, a true web web developer, a programmer, I didn't know how to speak the language. Mm. So I would ask for things or request things. And of course, they're like, well, I don't know what you mean. And there, there was just a communication breakdown from being a visual artist or a front-end developer and trying to communicate to a back-end developer. So I ended up going back to school for uh, basically programming to, to figure out how to have that discussion. So I went back to school to be a programmer with no intentions of being a programmer, yeah. but just so that I could understand the whole process and be able to kind of talk that talk so that I could go further with that kind of medium. And at the time, you know, I was still applying, kind of like I said, I was applying all my my pencils and markers and I was applying all my artistic skills into graphic design and then transition that into internet and web design. So I was still kind of merging all those concepts together, but I needed to, I needed to go further because especially in this instance, I couldn't communicate to a backend developer at that creative of a level. Cause they're like, they're X's and O's. They don't really understand. It's a different the, language. The whole, it's a different language. So like I had to figure out how to speak two languages so that I could better explain that. And basically at the end of that nine year stint, went back to school. Um, it, it took me two years to basically get that additional degree. I literally graduated that program and then moved into a new position in the, um, uh, retail space, starting a e-commerce store for a large sports sporting goods retailer in the Midwest. Okay. And that's when that journey started. And then I was in that kind of space for another about 10 years. So take me through the, cause 
you <laughs> you have somewhat validated what I've been told by multiple people and things that I know myself, I've just been putting it off and putting it off, is you need to go back and not even necessarily go back to school, but I need to learn like kind of coding and really like in terms of web development, going completely in that direction and learning everything I can. I have always stopped myself. I know enough to put a website together. I can I can manage your WordPress site. I can do everything like that. But I've always stopped myself before getting to actually coding everything out and being able to build stuff from scratch because I never wanted to get put in that category as like, you know, getting taken out of somewhat marketing and getting put into coding. I always felt like different jobs and stuff that I had, as soon as if they saw that I could I had that skill or anything like that, they instantly kind of pigeonhole me into that. Um, if there's anyone out there that's listening to this, do you think, and if they kind of feel the same way, what would your advice be to them? Just like jump into it and learn it anyway, or, you know, kind of stay to what you think your, your truth is. I think, I mean, I think you have to kind of know your path and know, I mean, have a sense of where you want to go with it. Cause that kind of dictates whether or not it's worth it to you, but uh -huh. Uh -huh. learning more is never going to hurt you. And like, in all reality, I'm no better of a programmer today than I was, whatever, 25 years ago. <laughs> but I can at least talk the talk now. Yeah. And I can, I understand the, the limitations of, I understand the, what it takes to do it. And now, you know, fast forward, you know, 10, 15 years. Now, when I lead a team of programmers or I work with a team of people who are, truly gifted in that area i can communicate them with them and understand where where i drop off and they pick up and vice versa yeah. and i think that's the true benefit of i mean it looks it looks like such a genius move after the fact but at the time yeah. i i had no idea i just knew that i had a problem communicating with guys that are, were way more technical than me and i needed to solve that problem and now that i cross that bridge and fast forward again 10 15 years i'm glad i did it because i don't know that i'd be where i'm at had i not kind of taken that upon myself and right now like the you know i'm not saying going back to school is a bad thing but man there's so many people that can self-teach themselves just oh, by yeah. watching youtube videos because there's youtube so much university there. youtube yeah. university for anything and everything man that is yeah very, even very that but it's all about just kind of kind of perspective and having having the ability to connect those dots and know where your flaws are you know yeah i feel that for sure yeah i'm i'm there i'm i'm, I'm going back and forth on do i really want to sit down and learn all this other kind of stuff i know that's not the long term anything that i want to do but i'm somewhat like you in you know all the different positions that i've held and different projects i've worked on i like being able to understand that knowledge and like you said the limitations i think that's the most important thing when you're working on certain projects and you're the one leading the project, you can't sit there and demand, hey, I need to have this whole thing done in two hours, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, if you really knew the system and you really knew how this process goes, you wouldn't be making any kind of requests like that. You'd have a better kind of like timeline or whatever you need to get done. Um, yep. That's just kind of like how I look at things. But yeah, so you said you, you know, you went back to school, then you were kind of got another position. Take us through that. Take us through the start of that and kind of how that led for you. Well, you said another, like, what, nine years doing that as well, 10 years doing that as well? Yeah, I mean, I got 
I got lucky in the sense that um, when I transitioned from my kind of the, my print phase, so to speak, into digital marketing and uh, within like e-commerce and retail, I was one of two people originally hired to basically start this e-commerce division of the company. Mm. And even at the time, I didn't know that. I just knew that I applied for a web developer job. I didn't know really what for or what the context of it was, but I got the job and the other guy that was hired, he was more the back end and I was the front end, which at that instance, I'm like, man, am I glad I went back to school to learn that, <laughs> to learn that communication piece because I already had the front end piece figured out. Mm. It was the back end in the communication of. So um, that individual and myself spent about three, three and a half years together, at least getting it as far as we could. And then he left which made it kind of my baby at the, at that point in the process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I spent another six ish years continuing down the road we had started on. And at that point, building out the team, like I said, it was two of us at the beginning. By the time that nine year stint was up in that, that retail position, we had, um, you know, 20 to 25 people that were at full-time status doing everything from web development to, product placement and management to even building out a social media team at the time, which, you know, I was a very early adopter to social media and not because I saw where it was going, but because it was free. It was something, mm -hmm. it was a way to, it was a way to, to market, you know, our division of the company with keeping the budget low and like, it was all that. And, you know, in the course of nine years, like we accomplished a crazy amount of stuff. Like we were started at literally zero when you, in regards to sales. And by the time, you know, by the time I left that position, we were, you know, up in the eight figures. So wow. just fun to kind of create something like that from scratch. And luckily being a kind of a silo of the company that was a growing piece of the business, but wasn't as big as like the brick and mortar aspect, I got to really kind of learn the entrepreneurial side. Yeah, which is very important. Yeah, how to figure stuff out on a, sh a shoestring budget, how to mm -hmm. how to figure stuff out with little to no resources. Um, so really, you know, I got to spend nine years just problem solving and kind of playing an entrepreneur, but with a paycheck every two weeks. Yeah, I feel that. I mean, that's what I've been. I've been advised to do that as much as possible, like, you know, learn on someone else's dime, basically, um, when we're going through and figuring all that stuff out. That must have been incredible, though. Like you said, you you literally started from zero all the way up to eight figures and figuring all that kind of stuff out. I mean, that sounds like a fun you know position to be in, but I can imagine the the growing pains that came with it were not always you know some so fun. What were some of your kind of like most maybe head scratching or kind of head banging moments like going through those years and just trying to put stuff together and getting it to where it was? It was. It was. I mean, to be honest, it was probably one of the greatest times in my career, but also the worst time <laughs> because it was a roller coaster. Um, I very much value that window of time and I learned a lot and I, I took a lot from it, but it was miserable at times because <laughs> you were always trying to create something out of nothing and, and you were always trying to squeeze, you know, just a little bit more out of the budget and squeeze just a little bit more out of the, the people around you. 
Um, it was very demanding, a lot of mm. long hours, um, corporate space. So it, you know, it got political at times. Yeah. And, um, so you had to navigate all that. Um, but to be able to kind of come to like, we like there, there's definitely some high points and, you know, the coming together of the team and being able to accomplish certain tasks. And sometimes you, you know, sometimes it went as designed and sometimes it went better and you just didn't even know why, but you'll take it. Mm. You know, like, I have no idea how we did that, but that's amazing. And you just, you just accepted it as a victory, you know? So a lot of, it was a good, it was a very good way to try things and fail and, um, you know, to, to really kind of work the kinks out. So when, when I, when I made the shift of starting my own business, I'd already kind of been through war to some yeah. degree. So you kind so of knew what was coming down. It was like, okay, this is, this, these things are going to go wrong. Like these things are going to yeah. happen. It's just now is for me and not for, you know, another company now. It's just, it's on your own yeah. kind of, you know, time. Wow. Yeah. And it's, you know, at this point in my career, it's, and even having been through that, like it's pretty tough to rattle me or get me too excited because it's just a process. Everything's yeah. a process and you, you plan for the best and you, you know, work the plan and you, for the most part, things will work themselves out, but you just have to continually keep your, your eyes on it. You keep your strategy alive. And, and, and I don't know that having, you know, having not spent that, that decade in uh, e-commerce retail, I don't know that I would have learned a lot of those things. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And what's, what's your, your age range as you're going through this process? Are you mid twenties, you know, thirties, where, where are you at in that? Basically, I spent my 30s in retail. Okay. And, okay. you know, um, spent my 30s in retail and just put in a ton of hours and, you know, just kind of was all in. Um, I didn't have much of a personal life because I was working <laughs> like crazy. And we traveled a little bit with that job as well. So between uh, just travel and kind of the initiative that I was tasked with as far as building the e-commerce and social media teams, um, yeah, it was a lot of work um but i had good people and you know i was able to kind of over over the course of time distribute that and build the team out as well so it did get i don't want to say it got easier but i was able to spread it out as much as i could wow so you were putting all these teams and everything together are these still people that you interact with to this day like you know you look back and you can say oh we were in the trenches together and you know maybe now you're working on other projects maybe they work with you now at cyberdogs like you know is that yeah. sort of the relationship there um i still maintain some of the relationships um some of the some of the key ones you know a lot of times when you're building out a team like that a lot of people coming and going a lot of growth oh, yeah. mm -hmm. um so some of those people aren't there anymore but i would say at the time you know kind of the at least the the story we kind of told ourselves and, and i can say this because we all agreed that we were kind of like the, the bad news bears of web teams. I mean, we, uh, you know, cause we had to, we had to work around the rules. Yeah. You know, we had to find ways to stretch the budget. And a lot of the people that found their way to the team were because maybe they didn't work out somewhere else or, you know, so at first um, it was kind of a hodgepodge of skill sets, but everybody was kind of all in and proud of the work that they were doing. So it worked out really well. And, um, you know, I, I don't know that it would have, I don't know, know that it would have played out the same had we 
you know, got first pick of everything. Yeah. So there is a sense of desperation sometimes. Keep everybody these people. hungry. Yeah. yeah. We were keeping everybody hungry. And I think that that formed a, a bond too, so that the team kind of had that in common. So. So um, is this the job where you're starting to kind of figure out you don't want to be in the corporate world necessarily anymore? Or you're like, I need to to branch out and kind of go through my, get my own wings and, and kind of go in my own direction? Uh, to, to some degree, I mean, I'll, I will say that I, I love the job. I love the company. Um, just it started to wear on me a little bit in the fact yeah. that I was, uh, I was so far away from what brought me there. I mean, I was literally now at, you know, nine years into it, I was leading people. It was more about the paperwork and the leadership than it was about kind of creating something and, mm -hmm. and building something and and when i sat back and kind of looked at you know i don't love coming to work every day anymore yeah and, and i don't know that i don't know that i can like can i really do this for another 20 30 years i don't know and when i had to kind of ask ask that question to myself and kind of you know kind of think about it it's like well man how did i how did i get here so for me to kind of deconstruct my process it's like I got here because I love to draw. I love to create things. And then I started thinking about every time I made a shift, every time I advanced in my career, every year that went by, I just lost a little bit more of that year over year over year over year. And it's like, well, so now that I'm at where I'm at, I'm, you know, at that point, I don't know, almost 20 years into my career, do I want to just let it go and ride this train to the end? Or do I want to get back to where I started and start having some fun again? Mm -hmm. And, you know, so at that point I went and found myself a business coach and most business coach will give you the first consultation for free. So that's mm -hmm. kind of what I did. I met with this guy and we sat down and I said, Hey, here's the crossroads I'm at. Um, you know, basically I'm, I'm wanting to leave the corporate world. Here's why I painted him the whole picture of kind of where I was at in the process and this kind of idea of uh, getting back to where I started. And he had one question and his simple question, but it was kind of profound uh, at the moment is he asked me if I was uh, employable. He's like, are you employable? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? And he's like, well, if you got fired tomorrow, could you find yourself another job? And I'm like, well, yeah, I could do that. And he's like, well, then, well, then why wouldn't you try this? Mm -hmm. And when he asked me that question, I'm like, yeah, dude, you're right. Like, yeah, yeah. Worst thing that's so going to happen is it's, it's going to fail or it ain't going to, I'll go find another job. No big deal. Yeah. Well, yeah so th that was kind of my next day I went in and I said, Hey, I'm going to put my two weeks in. I'm going to, go out on my own. I'm trying this. And, and beyond that, I mean, I kind of had a rough idea in my head what I wanted to do, but it was pretty loose. I mean, I didn't have a concrete plan. I just knew that, um, I just knew I wanted to do it. And I knew that, you know, that I, that I, I believe that I could do it. And that's yeah. as far as I got on that first day. And then I spent the next two weeks kind of crafting out my, my vision for what I wanted to create. And is that the the starting point of, of cyber dogs and kind of everything that has followed, you know, suit since then? Is that the origin story, I guess? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I that's high level, but I was I was in <laughs> e-commerce retail for about just about twelve years total, um, and literally I put my notice in to leave retail, and then uh, two weeks later I say, you know, I woke up self-employed or unemployed, depending on how you want to look at it. <laughs> And I started just kind of working the process. And, and I'll be honest, it, it, it seems silly now knowing kind of where I started, but um, I had no idea how to do anything. Mm. I mean, I, I knew how to do the things that I had done in my career, but I was starting at zero again. Yeah. So I found myself a networking group. That was the, one of the first things I did is I found myself a networking group and I started networking and kind of learning from other people as to how to start to generate a pipeline, start to generate leads, start to have conversations with people. And then I did that kind of as a main source or a main driver of uh, contacts and relationships to start with. And I really started then to build out kind of the infrastructure and kind of the culture of the company, even though it was just me at the beginning, I started to build out kind of what I wanted the company to represent. I wanted it to be a brand, not an agency. Yeah. Um, I wanted it to be um, something that was really kind of kind of steeped in all the reasons why I got into this in the first place, which is the creativity, the fun, the, you know, it needed to have these different elements and influences involved and not just be a sales driven thing. I mean, not, we all need money to survive, but if I just wanted the money, I would have stayed in the corporate world and, yeah. and I left that for a reason. So I needed to make sure that that was, you know, pushed down the list of priorities to some degree so that I would stay true and stay uh, on point with what this brand needed to be about. And slowly but surely year after year, we're in our, we're in our ninth year now, wow. but every year that goes by, um, I don't want to say it gets easier, but the clarity and the, the path that we set out on becomes that much clearer, if that makes sense. Wow. So then take me, so I, I always love to talk to people when they talk about their businesses and, and stuff like that. I love to hear the exact, like, why the name Cyberdogs, how you came up with the logo, how you came up with the kind of colors, like that starting point, um, I like to always say, like, is always so important for me. Any project I ever work on or anything I ever do, for me, the creativity starts to flow when I understand what the name is. Once, once you get yep. the name on there, then you can associate logos, mascots, whatever it might be with it. Um, but yeah, take me through that process of, of naming your company and then kind of building the, the brand out from there. I'm going to sound a little bit like a hypocrite in this process because <laughs> it just worked out the way it worked out. But I, I have nothing against people who have deep-rooted reasoning behind their name. And I will, and I will tell customers if they come to me and they say, Hey, I need a business name. You know, we'll go through a, a discovery phase and a process on how to get there and, and whatever. But it, but it is important to me that the name and how you get there is something you feel good about. And, and yeah. you need to be able to tell that story in a way that people can relate to it and go, Oh, that's kind of cool. Okay. So that said, backing it up a little bit. Um, when I was in my 20s, a friend of mine and myself, he was a more technical guy, kind of a, a web programmer, so to speak. Um, 
we used to design websites and I'd do logos and different things. We do it for pizza and beer, like literally, like we had one client that owned a, a sports bar uh, in Fargo, North Dakota. And he's literally like, Hey, would you guys build me a website? I'll give you all the free pizza and beer you want. And we're like, sure. You know, we're Sounds in our like 20s. A plan to us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we don't care. And at the time there was a local business called Cyberduck, And I just thought they had a really cool logo. It was a very kind of Disney drawn type duck with funny glasses on and like a space hat. And I just thought it was a cool name. So when I started doing a lot of these side projects, my tax guy at the time said, Hey, you should probably put together an LLC and whatever. And I'm like, well, I don't have a business name. And he's like, well, just doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. He's like, just come up with something. And I go, how about cyber dogs? That's what I threw out there. And it wasn't, it wasn't well thought out. It was just, I really like this cyber duck thing. And I just swapped the duck for dogs. And that's kind of how it, went and nice. <laughs> it didn't really matter because we didn't do anything with it we just i just used it for tax purposes so <laughs> fast forward to when i actually started cyber dogs which was 2015 um i started thinking about business names and i came up with all like the you know ascendant marketing and like all the basic names you could ever come up with plus i mm -hmm. threw some weird ones in there and upon that list I threw in cyber dogs because it's like it's something I've used before I don't I don't I don't know I'll throw it in there and see what happens I I sent an email out to 19 different people that I knew in the marketing industry and I said hey start my own business this is what it looks like I've generated this list of potential names uh what do you think and there's probably like 75 names on this list I'm not kidding it was huge way too much I mean, in hindsight way too many names but i but i i didn't know mm -hmm. so i sent this out to these people and uh like 17 out of the 19 people got back to me and cyber dogs came back in the top three on wow. every on every response not one other name on those on that list of names not one other name came up i mean there was a few that came up multiple times but not one of them came up every time and cyber dogs came up every time. So when I sat down and crunched through everybody's opinions and some people gave me like well thought out comments and suggestions. And that was the one thing that stood out to me is cyber dogs made the list every time. And I'm like, I don't even know what that is, but I'm going to, I'm going to go with it. So I chose cyber dogs as the names strictly for that reason. And I did it basically the rest in a backwards kind of way in that like, okay, so if my name is cyber dogs, let's build a brand around that. Let's build a mythology around it. Let's build a reason why it's cyber dogs. Let's, and, but I wanted to make sure that whatever I built around it wasn't like fiction. And it, yeah. it, I can't sensationalize this to the point where it doesn't make sense. I need to just build something around it that, connects to me connects to the brand connects to the authenticity piece because that's what this whole journey is all about so now i've decided we're cyber dogs we're steeped in creativity now i need to build this kind of this lore around it and what i did is i just started looking at kind of the the different personality traits of the different breeds of dogs and 
what do I want it to be and all this stuff and, you know, creativity and tenacity and, uh, grit and like all these different things were kind of attributes of a bulldog. And I thought, okay, well that fits. I mean, where I'm at in my career and kind of what I'm doing and, you know, I, I, kind of built it backwards, like I said, but those attributes kind of led me to a bulldog. And then, then all of a sudden it, you know, how do we make that make sense? You know, how does a bulldog relate to a create, uh, you know, a creative agency or creative design studio or whatever the the title was going to be. And I started noodling out logos and started, um, you know, kind of building out concepts. And I, I, I'd say I probably got 60 to, I don't know, 60 percentish, 60 to 70 percentish done of where I thought we needed to be. And I just couldn't get it through the uprights. And Mm -hmm. I just was like, I don't love it. I just, it's gotta be cooler. It's gotta be different. And I ended up finding an artist online that I said, dude, I just need you to set my mind at ease. Take it the other, I need you to take it the remaining 30%. Yeah, do it the way I, I don't know how it needs to look, but do yep. it this way so when you see it, you'll know, like, yeah, this is, this is the yep. thing. This is it. And and I'm so, like, I guess probably like any artist, I am crazy critical of my own stuff. Yeah. And I think that was my barrier is I just couldn't, I couldn't love it because I, I just couldn't get it there. And anyway, this guy took the concept, the idea, and then he generated the final version, which is this. Nice. And I'm like, that's it. That's the one. It's got the pieces. It's got the the hard edge. It's got the light bulb. It's got it's not it's not too masculine, but it's also not elegant either. So it's it's kind of the in my mind, it was the perfect mix of what I wanted, but I just couldn't get there. And it was my first real step in letting go and collaborating. Yeah. Because this was something that was really personal to me that I had to get over myself and admit if I'm going to do this, it's got to be better. It's got to be perfect. And I don't have the skills and, you know, for whatever reason I had to get over myself and hand, hand this off to somebody. And it, it taught me a lot just in that instance to, okay, this is, this is something we're going to do as a, as an agency, we're going to collaborate. We're going to, we're going to, swallow our pride when we need to to get to something bigger yeah you know so we long story short landed on this logo and um the brand kind of formulated around now this concept of the the tenacity and the creativity and the kind of what it means to be truly loyal you know just like a a a dog is loyal to its owner. We are loyal to our customers. We are loyal, you know, so we built kind of a brand around that and use that as our North star to build out the culture and the core values. Wow. Was that letting go process for you hard? I know because the different things that I've worked on myself and things that I've started from the ground up, um, this podcast is another example. It's like, I, I am now understanding there's certain things like you're saying, there's certain things I'm really good at. There's certain things I can take this to a certain level, but you have to kind of let it go. I feel like when I was younger and started kind of business ventures when I was younger, I kind of started doing my own things like that when I was probably 14, 15 years old. I was a lot more like, no, this is mine. I want to hold on to it because I want it to blow up. And then I want to be the, 
you know, the CEO that built everything from the ground up by himself and blah, 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 blah. But then once you find out the real people who are successful, the people who are making billions of dollars a year doing whatever they're doing, it's not really just them. It's like their team around them of the smartest people in their field. They might be the director somewhat of everything that's going on. But in terms of the people actually putting in the work, it's like you have to hire those people and put those people in the right positions to make the team stronger. Was was that like a really challenging process for you? Or did you kind of know from working before kind of in the corporate world and leading stuff, knowing how to put the right people in the right positions and kind of stepping back a little bit? I would I would say I would say I kind of knew how to do that to some degree. But because this was such a standalone venture and it was I mean, I was putting all my eggs in my own basket. Mm-hmm. It was hard for me to let somebody else take the reins on something like I said so personal as the logo. But you know, like you'd already kind of mentioned it, you kind of learn um self-awareness. Yeah. And I knew that my ability to not like I I just needed somebody else to finish it so that I could okay liking it because if i if i if i didn't i would never let myself love it yeah you can never really take it seriously unless until you get to that next that next step with it that next thing or you can be proud of it yeah just because i'm so picky and i'm so picky and so critical of my own stuff i knew i knew i just knew that i'll never love this logo if if i if i don't let somebody else touch it yeah and Luckily, I picked the right guy because he nailed it, and I loved it. And and actually, this guy still works with us. Like, nice. We work That's together awesome. all the time. But um, yeah. But I, I I knew it, but I didn't. Like, so it was a learning process, and you know, it was hard to it was hard to let him do it. But when he did it, I was like, I knew I made the right choice because um, because I it really kicked off in energy and it kicked off the creativity to, to, okay, well now what do we do with this thing? Like I said, cause we built it backwards, you know? So it, it was like, we needed to kind of justify the next steps. And then once we got to that point, it just naturally became what it became. Wow. Um, yeah. So I guess anyone listening, the name of the game sometimes is just kind of letting go <laughs> and knowing when you're not well, the best at something. I mean, and don't overthink it. You know, yeah. that's the that's what I'll tell anybody about building a brand is that I think we we just see, you know, if if you ever know like the history of some some of the greatest brands how they came together, like even the Nike brand, Phil Knight paid some gal like $35. Yeah. Like now is it a great brand? Yes, and and I'm not knocking Nike whatsoever. But he just he let go. He yeah. let go. He didn't overthink it. He came to something that, you know, obviously fit where he was going and fit his, you know, kind of vision for things, but he he, he just didn't overthink it. And I think yeah. sometimes when you're brand building and you're and even as an entrepreneur, like you think overthinking it is gonna help you make a better decision and it's not. It actually slows you down because now you're just wasting all your time overthinking instead of putting people in place to make these decisions so you can make the next decision. Because as you know, it's a long list of things that you have to put together to make this business grow, to do anything before you can even see, you know, a dollar come in, you have to have all these things in place. And you sitting there worrying about if the color is going to be orange or purple for five days in a row, 
it doesn't really move the the needle at all. And that's the crazy thing too. I think a lot of people and myself included for a while, we think these very little and minute details that you're paying so much attention to are really going to make that big of a difference for your customers and all your clientele and whoever else. And most of the time it doesn't. Most of the time people don't pick up on those details at all. They don't see it because they take someone like how you just said, you want someone just to present you with something so you can know how to react if you like it or not. And a lot of the times that's just how it kind of goes. Um, but it's just weird when you're on the back end of it and you're designing that, you're trying to make sure, okay, how do I make sure this, that when this person looks at my logo that they do like it and they do all this other kind of stuff. When it's, In all honesty, it's like either they're going to look at your logo and connect with it and you know move forward with you or they're going to look at your logo and be like, I don't like it and go the opposite way. And that's just kind of how... You know the cookie crumbles uh in in a lot of those those instances yeah it's actually yeah. kind of crazy i yeah. would even add you know in that instance you really when you're building a brand and you're building um the elements around it and you know even the elements inside of it you're trying to build something that essentially subliminally finds their way into somebody's hearts and minds and exactly. like they love it they love it for whatever reason that they can't maybe articulate, but man, that's cool. Like they don't really know why they can't, they don't, they're not necessarily designers or artists or somebody who's going to break that down. But if you can align those elements subliminally and get inside their heads with it, then it works. You know, it's, it's a like psychology. Even, <laughs> it's, it's a very much psychology like, to it. Like we chose the color orange because of, you know, in color theory, the color orange is meant to signify optimism and there's a lot more behind it, but that's why I chose the color orange because I'm like, this is a, this is a reset button on my career. It's like, we, we chose it cause it had significance as to where we were at, um, kind of in the, in the brand building journey and the business the entrepreneurship piece. But I don't know that anybody really knows that, but they love they love the color orange. And I've yeah. and I've got clients that tell me that, you know, whenever I see the color orange, I think of you. And I'm like, well, I'll take it. You know, <laughs> you don't have I mean, to that's... know why you think of me, but, it, yeah. but as long as you're thinking about me, I'm, I'm good. That is marketing at its finest. Like you said, getting into people's heads a little bit and being those little messages, those little subliminal messages or, or images that people see and kind of connect with. Um, so, yeah, and then let's kind of get into it then of. Uh, you know, cyber dogs and the the way you guys probably, um, you know, treat your clientele or go into dealing with, you know, certain problems or whatever project might become coming your door. Are those some of the principles that you guys are putting into things? Like, are you, you know, instead of just looking for that cookie cutter kind of approach to, to certain projects, are you guys going into it like, let's let's have some fun with this. Let's figure out some things, you know. Let's get to talk to the owners of the company or whoever else might, you know, be that 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 point of contact. And get these little details. Like you said, like, you know, the orange is a significant thing for you. Other people might not pick up on it because it's so, you know, close to you and what you're, you know, thinking and feeling. Um, it might resonate with other people as well on a on a level that didn't even know it was that deep. Do you guys kind of do the same thing with your clientele when you're, you know, putting stuff together for them? Yeah, I would even say and then some. I mean, we have a pretty steep discovery process that, you know, on the surface gets us probably more information than they've shared with anybody else or any other agency they've ever worked with. But for us too, um, you know, we set out, you know, we collect all that information 
then we build out a kind of a plan, a journey, right? We're going to go 30, 60, 90 days and see what these things look like. But there's a part of it where it's to kind of schedule out the execution piece so the client gets an opportunity to go, okay, so what am I getting for my money? What does this look like? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But for us, it's like we got 90 days to really get to know these guys, like above and beyond what they didn't share with us because honestly, that's how it works. You do those discovery processes and they give you the surface level stuff, but you don't really get to know that, you know, client X, Y, and Z really likes certain restaurants or has two kids and a dog. Like those are the kinds of things that kind of start to fill in gaps. When you start to figure out where they're at personally, um, where their likes and dislikes are, maybe how they dress on a day-to-day basis, Mm. whether they're more sporty versus professional, those kind of greasy little details tell you more and more and more about these people and and who they are as a client, which from a business perspective helps us understand the client better and how to work with them better to meet them where they're at, but also it allows us to learn and speak to the authenticity behind the brand. And I think the connection of who the people are behind the brand with the actual storefront and logo, that's the disconnect that almost always exists. And as a company, if we can help them kind of fix that disconnect and fill those gaps, then we help them basically strengthen and cultivate a better brand going forward. So that journey, that relationship, and our ability to kind of get to know these guys is huge. It's hard to it's hard to explain that to them up front because they're like, I don't even know Why what do that you means. Care? Yeah, Why do like, you care? Is, yeah. <laughs> but after we've spent time with them and after we've worked with them over the course of, say, six months to a year, it clicks. They get it. Yeah. They're like, man, I don't, I can't imagine myself going anywhere else. And it's like good because we don't want you to go anywhere else you know so so then what's that um i guess the the starting process in terms of you know i know you offer a number of different services um but what what is the do people come to you and say hey i just need these two things help with you know in, in terms of whatever you guys provide or do you guys do that discovery process and go through the whole thing and say well you, you might have thinking you need this but Here's other things you can improve on as well, or what's that process like? It's it's basically a mixture of both. We we get people that come to us and very specifically know what they want. Like I want a website or I need a mm-hmm. brand. You know, like they they'll come and and you know basically ask that specific question. And it isn't until we sit down and kind of walk through the details of what they have to work with, where they're at in the process, what they're missing, we can kind of go well you're right, but you're two steps ahead of yourself because we got to do this first. Yeah. And we can kind of calibrate them from that point and get them on the path to to what they, what it is they really need and what it is they specifically ask for. And then there's times where they don't know what they, they don't know what they want. They don't know what they need even. They just know that I want to market myself. I want to build my business. Somebody said you were good. So here I, I'm talking to you. And and then we help them kind of deconstruct it from there. But like we lead with kind of like we were talking before, we know what we're good at and what we're, you know, not as good at. Mm-hmm. And we lead with the brand development and the website 
piece is just those are our two main entry points. And then we supplement with uh, different partnered relationships from podcasts to paid ads. And then we also, you know, uh, will support our clients with um, graphic design, social media management, those kinds of things. Not that we're not good at those things, but we just know that's not where we, that's not our lead generator. Yeah. So, so we stick to the branding and websites as kind of our lead generator. And then we supplement with the rest. And part of, part of why we supplement with the rest, I mean, that's, that's our 20%, you know, the 80% is the brand website, but why we supplement with that 20% is because we, we want to provide them solutions. Yeah. You know, we don't want to send them out on the street and have to go find a nut like, and now I got to go find another company. If we, we just, you know, our idea was that if we could build those relationships and have those relationships kind of at the ready, then we can guide them through the process and, and kind of hand them off to people that we know and trust so that they get a good experience and that it kind of comes full circle. And honestly, it kind of keeps them in our wheelhouse. So in terms of um, these new clients that you might be coming in and dealing with and they thinking they're thinking that they need this and need that and you're kind of trying to coach them through this process, um, I guess, are you experiencing more times than not people being able to be coachable and being able to be taught these things that they don't know and really listen to you versus fighting you on certain things? For the most part, yeah. I mean, there's always a little pushback and, and honestly, there's so, there's so many agencies and even freelancers and people out there that are kind of chirping it a different way mm -hmm. where, I mean, I'll be honest, I need to make money too. And we're a business and all these different things, but I don't sell clients anything they don't need regardless yeah. of where I'm at in the process. Yeah. And Broadly speaking, I can't necessarily say that for every agency out there because they have sales goals and they have yeah. things that they're trying to push. And sometimes if they can convince somebody to buy X, Y, and Z, that's, that's the game. And I just don't do it like that. Um, yeah. I kind of believe that honestly, that we'll get there. Like if they don't need the website today, if I do it right, they'll need the website maybe in six months, maybe yeah, in a year. And they'll call and, you. And if I do it right, they will call me. So it's a deferred strategy to some degree, but um, that's just kind of how we do it. And talking them out of what other people have told them that they needed is kind of, I mean, that's the challenge, but I kind of let them come to that on their own as well. Because um, it's not my job to talk them out of stuff or to, convince them that my way is the right way, but I do want them to be smart with their, um, with their decision-making and their, and their budgets, because, you know, running a business is hard. And if you don't make smart decisions, you probably won't be around. Yeah. So, yeah. and I, and I, and I recognize that not only for my own existence, but also, you know, for these clients that their success is, you know, my success is their success and vice versa. So I have to, I have to treat their businesses like I would my own. Yeah, I think that word um, integrity is kind of coming into play here for sure. Like you said, there are tons of agencies out there, tons of people, consultants, whatever, 
who tack things on and they just think like, okay, this person is an unsuspecting, you know, duck that I can sit here and just kind of like take advantage of them as much as possible. I know what I do, my different kind of um, uh, consulting and, and just kind of helping people out whenever I can. Um, I try to let them know a lot of, ahead of time, like here, I'm not trying to take advantage. I don't want anything like that. I'm similar to you. And like, I just want to do good work. If you enjoy it, if you, you know, love it, all the other kind of stuff, I am 100% in the wheelhouse that you'll come back and you'll be not even just a future client of mine, but you'll be a part of my own marketing when I'm putting stuff out. I can use you as a reference, as a testimonial, um, that kind of stuff, just to let everyone know and be, you know, kind of comfortable again with me and be able to show off the work that I've done for you. And like you said, your client's success is your success. So if they, you know, go crazy and end up big like a Nike or something like that, if you're talking to, you know, a clothing brand or whatever it might be, I mean, they can point back and in their origin stories and all their, you know, movies that get made about them and everything, there you are. Mike is going to be a character in the movie. It's kind of like who's casting you, you know, for that yeah. that future project. Um, yeah, I think that's really, really important, um, just especially when, again, when you're talking about agencies and consulting and all that kind of stuff, coaching people and letting them know exactly what they do need. Um, I usually let people know, like, okay, this is the full scope of what you might need. But we can start here and you can run, you can run for a while with these three things. You might need a full 20, but if you do these three to five, you'll be good to to start off and grow from there. And then we can worry about all this other stuff later. Um, I think that's part of the framework too, when you go back to just educating people and coaching people, is trying to let them into the the science of what goes behind marketing a company or marketing a brand. Everyone thinks if you just you know, like you said, get a cool logo and a couple colors and you put it on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube and whatever. Oh, you're solid. You're just going into it. And it's like, no, that's not at all how it goes anymore. It's not at all what it what it means to to market yourself or brand yourself anymore. Um, what are some of the strategies you got to go through when you are, you know, helping out your clientele or even for your own company itself? You know, like when you're trying to market a brand and brand yourself couple things i mean you you kind of touched on it um i try to make sure my clients understand that you know this is not a light switch process um you know it can happen you see it on 60 minutes or dateline or whatever where somebody throws a brand up and overnight they're millionaires it can happen but it's that's the zero 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 point one percent or whatever you want to say Mm -hmm don't plan for that like plan for a marathon not a sprint it's going to be a process and you have to commit to your goal of what you want this to be so like in my example on paper i guess yeah we're an agency but i always wanted cyberdogs to be a brand and what does that mean well that means we need to be very brand focused we need to be brand champions of what it means to be cyber dogs and the culture behind it and live by, by that. And, um, we need to put it out there visually. So whether that's social media, website, merch, whatever it is. So it's kind of, you know, kind of picking that path and, and sticking to it. You know, like you said, I've, you know, we've had clients that for them, it's just a logo. Yeah. Like, I just want to slap this thing together and get it on a business card and I'm good to go. And it's like, nah, it, it's more than that. Because if it's going to connect back to who you are as a person and it carries any kind of uh, consistency and authenticity as to who you are, 
that that's a representation of everything you are and everything you've put into this business. So here's, here's the narrative it needs to carry. And so we help them kind of, kind of understand that distinction and how to apply that holistically into their kind of their life and their brand and then how to do it in phases. Cause that's the other thing that I think it's misled and miscommunicated sometimes in marketing is that everybody wants to sell the six figure package and it's, that's great, but it's all progressional anyway. Yeah. So if we, so if we sell it 10 grand at a time, five grand at a time, you'll get to six, you'll get to a hundred eventually. Yeah. yeah. But it all has to happen. you know, a before ABC before you get to DEF anyway. So if you sell it progressionally and help the clients understand that from a budget perspective, you can digest it in these phases, it's going to help them buy into the process, but also understand that, yeah, this is, this is going to take a while. Yeah, it is. But and at the same time, let them know that if we are going slower, now these are opportunities again to, to pivot if needed, to make different changes, to do things that if you go for that hundred thousand dollar package right off the bat and you're just, okay, this is everything the logo is going to be. This is everything this is going to be blah, blah, blah. You don't have any time now because you've wrapped up all that money into branding everything this one way, into taking this one strategy, into promoting things this one you know one way. When if you did it piece by piece, you'd be able to study after every move you make. Okay, we did all this, and you know these three things out of the nine things we did actually landed. Maybe we could focus on these three things now and cut everything else. Now we don't need to spend that whole hundred thousand dollars. Maybe we only need to spend fifty, but we can do fifty, yeah. and it's a lot more effective. And you know you can continue to grow and actually develop your business and not just throw things out there. Um, yeah, I, I have, I've struggled very much with that part with any clients that I work with as well to saying in terms of social media, um, social media has always been the thing that everyone wants to have the hundred billion followers and all that other kind of stuff and get all these likes and, and that. And, um, I've experienced working with some people in some kind of smaller companies where they think they can get a hundred thousand followers overnight. And it's like, you can, there's ways to do that. It won't be as effective though. If you're trying to do it overnight, you can, you can go buy all those things. You can go have all these people on your page and do all this stuff. But then let's look at the engagement of every post that you're putting on. If you have a hundred thousand followers, you're only getting 50 people liking your post every single time. There's a red flag there. There's, there's something yeah. not, there's something that's not right. You're not really engaging that brand, whatever your goals are for social media, then I mean, unless your goal is just to have that vanity stat of 100,000 you know, followers on there and that's all you want, you know, fine. But in my opinion, doing things the slower way and just letting them know, hey, this is a this is a marathon, not a sprint. You're growing an actual brand. You're not just, you know, turning in a homework assignment that you'll get a grade the next day and you're done. Um, that's been my main thing and my main like just battle with people and understanding, you know, just doing stuff for people for a couple months and they're like, why haven't I grown this much yet? And all this other stuff. And it's like, well, it's a process. And do you see what has happened from when we first started? till now there are micro progressions that are going here, but it's like you said, it's not a light switch approach. There is a, there's a, it's not even a knob. It's kind of like a, you just have to look at it and kind of just gauge where stuff is going and try to do the best you can with the steps you're taking. Um, well, yeah. And understand the cape, the capacity of your industry. You know, yeah. you're not going to get Kardashian type following if you're in the 
you know, the construction industry. No, it's not going to happen. Not, it's not a beautiful, it, sexy industry like that to be in. <laughs> no. And to your point, like I've had to have those discussions with clients too, that I understand the vanity metrics and how they make you feel. I get it. Yeah. Everybody wants to feel like that, but, but FYI, like if your numbers are polluted, so is your data. Yeah. So, so when you, like you said, when you're not getting the, 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 the likes, follows, shares, whatever, at the rate that matches your vanity following number, it's going to make no sense. And then when you go in and dig into your data and you're like, hey, I'm going to break down these analytics and figure out what's going on. Your, your data is going to be so polluted. You will, if you're able to draw a conclusion from it, you'll be lucky. So you don't really want that vanity metric because the bad stuff that comes with it could totally ruin like you might have to start over on, on social yeah. media. <laughs> yeah. And you, you might really have that. to wipe everything clean and then you're back to square one again because you've been doing this for three months and you just it's 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 a headache. It's definitely it's, a headache. It's just a very slippery slope <laughs> for the sake of for the sake of a vanity metric. And to be yeah. honest, nobody cares anyway. No. No one cares. No one because it doesn't mean anything. And if, if it doesn't even equate to sales or whatever that thing is that you're trying to do for whatever that campaign might be or whatever, then what's the point in the first place? Um, I talk a lot about the, the what is the goal um, direction that I've been kind of just like taken, kind of adopted from, you know, an older boss um, from an engineering background. He kind of just came in one day and was like, well, what's the goal of anything that you're doing? And from that, then on, it has really sparked just the mentality of like any Instagram post you put on there, what is the goal of it? Are you putting this post on there to, you know, are you are you trying to put this post and hopefully get 100 people to hit your website directly after? Are you putting up this post to hopefully get 10 likes on it? Are you putting this up there to hopefully get, you know, someone to share it on their story or whatever like that, you know, five times, whatever it might be. What is that actual goal? And then can this actually be executed with this action? Um, I think that going back to, you know, coaching and educating people through these different processes, um, that's something I've been kind of trying to reiterate to people in understanding that everything has to be goal driven. Everything has to have a goal orientated focus. Um, cause otherwise you're just kind of doing stuff just to do stuff. And again, like you said, starting a business and running a business is very hard. Um, one of the things a lot of people run into is just like not funding to do a lot of stuff. So don't waste your money. Don't waste your money trying to do all the stuff that you see, you know, a Coke or a Pepsi doing advertising their stuff. If you're if you're a coffee shop, you're not you can't advertise the same way as Starbucks. You just can't. If you're your mom and pop, it just it doesn't it doesn't correlate the same whatsoever. You're in a completely different realm. Um, I can I can probably say that or I could probably assume that through all of these kind of different trials and tribulations that you've gone through um, with your clientele, you've probably had some. Um, probably not so good experiences in terms of dealing with people like that. Can you can you kind of speak on maybe just having kind of like just a negative, um, maybe not even just negative, but just a negative outcome or negative reaction to to a, a partnership or something you were trying to do with a, a company or a client, and it just kind of like fell out from the bottom of you. There's there's nothing else you could really do. I'll give you a couple examples and nice. one, one, and just to kind of throw it out there too, like we're really lucky in the sense that we've only lost like three clients in eight plus years of business wow. because, 
because we're super transparent with them and not not blunt or rude about it but we're very you know we're we're teammates of you know we're like we're we have their best interest in mind and we're very transparent about how we would approach it and here's why and trying to educate them and you know and i think that has that has bought us so much grace and just mileage with these clients that the fact that we've only lost three and you know eight plus years is wow. crazy yeah you know i don't know that i could have planned that but now that we're here it's like man that's pretty cool um but yeah we've had a couple one of the ones we lost you know she just unfortunately you know she wanted big results you know how come everything we put out doesn't blow up how come i'm not going viral how come how come i can't draw a direct line from what you do to sales you know some of those things and and oh, we worked with this company for it must have been a couple two and a half close to three years maybe and it was just constant battle and even though you know we explain it and oh okay i get it now and you know we'd go back and forth it just never it just never quite sunk in and upon one of the last big discussions not in like a a bad way but i was kind of out of like i don't know how i'll i don't know how else to help you or make you understand how this <laughs> works but but i'm willing to do it again if i needed to and she had she had asked me to summarize like give me a give me the last 18 months summary show me what you've done i i need you to prove it to me that what you've done is worth it and and at that point like we hadn't really done a deep dive on that brand we haven't quantified our numbers or or even so i was i was optimistic that the data that was going to come back was gonna like i knew it was going to tell a favorable story to some degree um, but i didn't know how much so even to cover my bases and to be um fair i hired a third party to do the analysis mm. one of our one of our partners i said hey how much would you charge me to take this client and crunch all the numbers and you know basically give me a scorecard as to what we've done in the last 18 months and they're like yeah but it's your client mike why do you need me to do it and i go because i need an impartial third party because if I don't know what the data is going to tell us, but whatever it tells us, I don't want it to be influenced by me or anybody on the team. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, okay, I understand. So they crunched the numbers and they gave us, you know, I don't know, six, seven page reports, something like that. And everything came back like 300% in this area and 600% wow. in this area. And like, I was really surprised and kind of proud of the team i'm like man we crushed it like this is crazy but i knew that like i knew that the report itself i'm like either she's gonna think this is just complete bs or you know it's because it's not really what she wanted to hear she, what she wanted to hear was failure mm. and i kind of knew that like this report's not going to go over that well no matter what but you know i'm going to go into it optimistically and we'll see what happens so I sat down with the client and I started off by saying, I just want you to know that this report is kind of impressive, but I also want you to know that we did not do it. Uh, we did not crunch the numbers. I hired it because I wanted her to know that this was a third party impartial point of view. 
And uh, we walked through the report. And by the time the report was, by the time we got to the last page, she basically said, I don't believe a word of it. Um, <laughs> and she's like, I don't care what the report says. I, I, ex I expect that the work that you guys do should deliver X, Y, and Z. And where do we go from here? And I said, well, if what we're saying is, is you're drawing a line in the sand and w when we walk out of this discussion, these are the expectations, we're doomed to fail. Mm. I think we need to start thinking about transitioning you to another company or somebody who can meet those expectations. And she said, well, I don't have anybody lined up. And I said, well, I don't think you're going to find anybody either, but <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. And she basically said, finish out the month and you're done. Wow. And you know that it sucks when you lose a client, whether they're a good client or bad client. It, it like, I felt bad for them because I knew that, you know, not that there aren't other businesses out there that could do a good job, but I just knew that her expectations were so out of line that you're not going to find that anywhere. And I want yeah. you to, I want to help you understand that so that you can operate your business and maybe do a better job at, you know, kind of uh, digesting this whole marketing thing. But um, she just was so black and white about it that there was nothing, there was really nothing I could do. Um, but I felt good how we approached it and I felt good that we brought in a, an impartial third party to do the analysis. And I, you know, we still ended up losing the client, which sucks, but you know, I felt like we, we at least came out of it with our, uh, chin up. So yeah. it's the best yeah. you could hope for. I mean, you did everything you were supposed to do. And I mean, I think in terms of checking off all the boxes, even getting that third party to come in and kind of validate everything, the client's still not happy about that after then. It's like, okay, well, like you said, I think it's time. I think it's time just to push it off and, and kind of go off. You kind of said something else too, drawing a line in terms of correlation by what you're doing marketing-wise to equal you know direct sales. Um, I know from my experience that can be a very tough thing to do sometimes, especially when you're doing um, different campaigns and different initiatives, uh, maybe at one time or simultaneously, or if you've been doing it for a long time, um, you might be focusing on just different metrics. You might be focusing on, you know, brand awareness. That's one thing, or just, you know, a direct pipeline of getting, you know, leads in and, and closing sales, depending on what your, your business is. Um, what has been kind of your strategy and, and try to convey that to people as well? Cause I, I try to let people know all the marketing you do, you might spend X amount of money and you, sometimes you will not be able to see exactly mm -hmm. like you spending that hundred thousand dollars and it equaled a million dollars in sales sometimes you just can't you can't always see it that way especially if you've been doing it for a long time it's like well no you were building up your brand and you were in these different areas and people saw you and maybe there's multiple different things that are influencing that client or that person to come interact with you and trying to say it was all this this one thing right here it might not always be the easiest thing to, to kind of do. How do you correlate that to, to people sometimes? Well, and, and you, I'm just kind of reacting to a couple of things that you said, but you know, you said things like tough to do. It's not the easiest thing to do. Sometimes it's impossible. Yeah. Like yeah. it's not even tough to do. It's not even possible. So just let's just start there. Like, so we have those conversations with our clients and I, and I, 
I, I do a lot of analogies to try to help them understand. So like one of the analogies I throw at them a lot is, you know, everybody knows that eating right and exercising and all these different things will lead to good health. And I would say that that's true. Would you not? Yeah. Okay. So that, that apple you ate on Wednesday, where does that fit into it? I don't know. It's a part of it, but yep. you can't really. Yeah. It is. So <laughs> so what you're saying is eating an apple's bad? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying eating eating an apple's great. But but break it down for me. Take the next 90 days, show me your weight loss, show me your body mass index, show me how healthy you are, and now tell me where that apple fits in there specifically. And you can't. No. Like you know that you know that Somewhere in that process, eating right and the vegetables and the and the fruit and the, somewhere in there, it did it did me good, and it helped me get to the goal. Or it's it's, but I can't prove where. Yeah, that that to me is like branding sometimes. Or there are metrics. I mean, there are metrics and paid ads and different things where you can draw clear yeah. distinction to to ROI, but. There's a lot of pieces in marketing and, and the timing and even the seasonality of it that is heavily implied. Like I can I can look at certain things and go, I think that, you know, X plus Y equals Z and here's why I think that. Mm -hmm. But if somebody goes, okay, prove it to me though. Well, I can't do that. <laughs> and and that people doesn't think make... like you're like you're like you're, you're, you're full of it then when you say, well, I think it did this, but I can't. And it's like, well, if you can't prove it, then how did it really happen? How did that really go? And it's like, well, just like you said with the analogy of the apple, it's like, well, can you prove if you go to the doctor right now, the doctor says you're in great health, that, like you just said, that apple is the one thing that contributed to you actually. If you didn't have that apple, you'd be in bad health. Can I prove yeah. that in any kind of way? Probably yeah. not. Probably, Probably not. Will, not. Absolutely not. Like, even... Even diet and exercise, like I'm not, I think diet and exercise are great, but break it down for me as a percentage or as a hour of value, which, which one is leading the charge in your personal health? You can't. Yeah. I just know that I spend time doing X, Y, and Z and I've maintained a certain weight or I hit a certain fitness goal or you know that it's all recipe. It's all ingredients in this recipe. That's whatever you're doing, but you don't really know the breakdown. And it's not, it's not to discredit, you know, it, but it's to help people understand the concept of. Yeah. And yeah. I think, especially in branding and even entrepreneurship, how do you put an ROI on belief? And if you're building a business and you're building a brand and you're actually, if you believe in what you do, give me the ROI on belief. And that will, that'll, that'll tell you how much branding costs or how much branding influenced it, but you can't No, You just know that I truly believe that if I do X, Y, and Z and I eat that apple, I truly believe that I will hit X, Y, and Z goal and 99% of the time you will. I mean, I mean, you really yeah. will. Yeah. That's really if all you, it, it is. <laughs> it's it a mentality. Is. I mean, it's a mindset. How far are you going to take it? What are you, like you said, are you going to do all those little things that'll make that 
brand successful for you, at least and at least trying things. But then knowing and just understand, like you said, a lot of it is just kind of like faith that you're just going to keep going and stuff is going to happen. You can try your best to line up everything as much as possible. And I think that's the real true art form of marketing is just like aligning the business or the brand or whatever it is that you're pushing to be in the best position possible to capitalize on whatever that that monetization strategy is for that company. Just putting the company in the best position possible to, to monetize it. Growing that brand, having that interaction or whatever it might be, and understanding that those interactions come from different things. Like we brought up Nike before. Um, Nike is a brand that I've loved since I was, you know, a kid and playing sports is all I wore. And, you know, watching Kobe Bryant growing up in L.A., all you see is his shoes and all this other kind of stuff. Um, I even worked for Nike for about, you know, almost a year and a half or so. Um, all these things all contributed. And I went to so many Nike events and went to a Nike school, worked with the basketball team there. So I was wearing that all the time. Those are all just different initiatives. There's no way, shape, or form, and Nike, one of the best companies ever in terms of marketing, can sit there and say, okay, for Alex MacGyver, we spent X amount of money actually touching him and reaching him and getting in front of him and blah, blah, blah. We got X amount of money back out of it. You can't do it. It's impossible. There, there, there are implied metrics and there are there are indicators out there, you know, KPIs and different things that will lead you to validate certain decisions and stuff. And I'm not knocking those, but there is a, there's an understanding of belief and there's a trust and there's a, to know the game is to know that if you do X, Y, and Z, those numbers are heavily influenced. That that's, that's the challenge, you know, to get the customer to understand that that's, you know, those are the discussions we have. Um, because I try not to get in the weeds and the, and debate that stuff with them because I know it's a losing proposition. You know, you yeah. know it's funny because I'll get clients all the time that tell me branding doesn't matter. <laughs> branding, who cares? Nobody, nobody, it's, it doesn't work. You can't prove it. You can't do any of these things. And then, you know, I'll look at the client and go, well, you're wearing head to toe Under Armour yep. or you're wearing... It's just ridiculous, whatever. but yeah, <laughs> whatever. But we're all victims of branding, and and yeah. whether we realize it or not, we've all fallen in love with a brand of sorts, and that's what we hope we can do for our clients. I want people to not only love you because you do a good job and you provide a good service, and but I want you to garnish a certain kind of loyalty because they've they've bought in. You know, they've, they're believers. That's, that's what you want in good branding. And, and ROI is a tricky subject when it comes yeah. to brand and creativity. And, you know, for clients that are too black and white, they're, they're probably never going to be happy anyway. Um, because if they can't see the forest through the trees kind of a thing, they're, they're never going to trust the, that the brand and the loyalty and all these different things are major components in their success. Yeah. Is that something that you correlate in when you're, you guys are kind of doing your own marketing? That's a, this, this is the, the point I always find very interesting when I'm dealing with or talking to anyone who's in kind of the marketing industry, maybe has their own agency or consulting firm or whatever like that, how they market their own business and how they market their own company. Because I have found it, even for me and myself, 
I'm very, very good at knowing and seeing someone else's company and knowing exactly what to do off the bat. Like, oh, you probably need to do this, blah, 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 blah. But then when it's starting from point A with myself sometimes in a new venture or whatever it might be, I'll look at it like, okay, how how do I market this? And sometimes I draw a blank. Sometimes I literally sit there and I'm like, I don't know. And maybe it's because, you know, when you're working with a client, a lot of times they might already have their logo or their story or whatever it is. And you're just kind of building off of that and kind of running with it. For you, how do you market like your own company and maybe necessarily like yourself? Like what's the, what are these tactics or just, um, you know, strategies that you might use for yourself to promote your, your own services? It's, it's an evolving process. I will say for our clients, everybody wants to go to the obvious of these are my services. This is my business Buy my book. Everybody wants to jump to the, the call to action kind of stuff. And I get it. I know why, mm -hmm. because it feels good. And when somebody does jump to the action, you potentially get a lead or a sale and it fills your cup and it's part of the part of the game. But I think the more important piece, and this is kind of how um, I brand cyber dogs. It's way more, it's way more about who we are than what we do. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, am I the only marketing agency, creative agency? No, there's tons of them. How many agencies do social media? Tons of them. How many build websites? Tons of them. How many do cool logos? Tons of them. Like everything that, that I would boast that, hey, we're really good at this. There's a million other companies that do the same thing, maybe better. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But there's nothing special about that. But what's super special about who we are is that we focus on relationships. We're very transparent. We really focus on what goes into the brand and not just how to exploit it or make money off of it. Um, you know, so focusing on who you are and kind of all that encompasses is way more of a focus for me personally. And it's something that if I can influence our audience and our clients to do, I mean, I'll, I'll push them to that every time. Yeah, I um, completely agree for sure. That is, um, I mean, I think that's the name of the game. And when you talk about, you know, clients say branding doesn't matter or whatever like that. Well, that is branding. That is putting yourself out there. That's doing podcasts like these, talking to people, letting people know your story, how you started with stuff, where you come from. Um, tell them how you came up with the simple things like a logo. Like those are things that someone might say, oh, you know, that's how I came up with my logo. And my logo is orange too. Maybe I need to call, you know, Mike and, and see what he can do for me just off of that one little, you know, speck of information right there. And so um, I think, I think the big thing that people need to realize and kind of what I kind of just talked about is you need to shine the light on the unique stuff, not the stuff mm -hmm. that everybody else is doing. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. Like people need to know what you do, but if, you know, if you're, if you're operating by an 80, 20 rule, 80% of your message should be about the uniqueness and 20% can be about the milk, eggs, and bread, the services, mm -hmm. the, because unless you're a, I mean, unless you're a service nobody else is doing and you've got just a complete industry to yourself, fine. But yeah. in most cases, you've got a million competitors that do everything you do 
And again, people have to know what you do, but that's not what's going to make them choose you. What's going to make them choose you is the uniqueness and the the part that resonates with them and the part that they feel maybe that they got a bad rap the last, you know, the last time they picked a company like this. Um, yeah. So being unique is is important. Yeah. Well, um, well, Mike, before before I get you out of here, I kind of want to. I want to ask you a question. I really want to. I hope you've been kind of following this 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 topic or this this campaign. Um, it's something I brought up in the first episode I've ever did of this podcast um, with, with uh, Chelsea B. Um, I thought it was a really really interesting thing when it happened, and now that I'm seeing the results come out of it, I, I kind of want to follow up, and I think you'd be the perfect person, based on the conversation we had, to kind of like ask this question. So are you familiar, uh, familiar with the, the solo stove? I, I think it was the solo stove Snoop Dogg campaign promotion thing that went out. I am. So, yeah. So on the first even ever episode of this podcast, I brought that up with Chelsea and because I saw it come up, I think it was like around Thanksgiving or something like that. And it blew my mind because it set the, the whole thing. And I'm just going to set the stage for anyone else who's listening who might not have known, but Snoop Dogg basically goes on his Instagram and all his social media and says, I'm giving up the smoke. And um, instantly everyone loses their mind thinking Snoop Dogg is no longer smoking and all this other kind of stuff and just goes crazy. He lets it kind of breathe for a couple of days. And I think he sends out another post saying, just give me my family privacy at this time, all this other kind of stuff. So everyone's thinking, oh, no, is Snoop Dogg sick? Is it what's going on? And no, everyone loves him. He has a great brand, all this other kind of stuff. Then it comes out maybe a week or so later, just an ad for him sitting outside um, in front of this solo smokeless stove. And that's basically the whole gimmick is Snoop Dogg is giving up the smoke by using this solo stove that doesn't give off smoke when it burns wood in it. Whatever, blah, blah, blah. The internet goes crazy over that too, thinks it's really, really great. All this stuff, oh, it's the greatest marketing campaign that's ever been put out there ever. Look at all this engagement. Look at all this brand awareness, all this other kind of stuff. And I had a hunch back then when I first saw it. I said, huh, they probably spent a lot of money. I don't think they're going to see really any sales from this at all. I don't see how the correlation of Snoop Dogg's demographic crosses with the people who would be looking for, I think it's like a six to $800 stove to go outside in their house that just, it doesn't have smoke with it. I just, I, when I first saw the campaign, that was the first thing. And a lot of people were like, oh, you're just, you know, hating on them. I was like, no, I really think it's a failed campaign. I think for all the awareness and everything that it brought, I, in my opinion, I think it was, it was failed. Um, come to find out a couple of days ago, I was completely right. They did not get <laughs> nearly as many sales as they thought. I don't think they really, they didn't see any needle jump whatsoever. They've ended the partnership with Snoop Dogg after about two or three months, which I think it was supposed to go on for about a year or so like that. Had no correlation to his demographic whatsoever and spent millions and millions and millions of dollars probably shooting that, getting him to, you know, sign the contracts, all the kind of stuff that goes into it. Um, I kind of want to get your take on that because I think it, it hit a lot of points that we talked about early in the conversation of, you know, making sure you know what you're doing. You're not always trying to spend the, the crazy amount of money just out the gate, do things with a goal, do things with intent, um, do things that make sense. 
So, yeah, Mike, what what do you think about that entire kind of campaign, that debacle? I mean, it's kind of gone so far. I think the, the CFO, they said the CFO and the CMO never even had a conversation to see if the, this entire campaign was going to correlate. And I think both of them have resigned from their positions as well at Solo Stove. Um, yeah, Mike, what, what do you think about that entire kind of debacle? I think it's a... You know, if you if you got the money to take a big swing like that, that I mean, I still don't I still don't think that it's a good idea because <laughs> you have to you have to know your audience and know, like, is this a risk worth taking? And it's not to, it's not to not cater to a certain audience, but we just we know that eighty percent of our audience looks like X, Y, and Z. <laughs> Do, are we okay with that or are we trying to <laughs> what are we trying to do with it yeah it's kind of like similar but different but it's kind of like the bud light campaign you know it, i'm not against what they did i don't really even care but what was the what was the goal <laughs> like that 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 would be my question is what what were we trying to do and if and if the answer was well we were just trying to sell more beer Okay, but why did you think that that would sell more beer? Or even why did you think that would sell more stoves? Like, I get it. It's kind of clever. And, you know, if that was your Super Bowl commercial and you were trying that to be cheeky, yeah. then, okay. But, but again, why did you think that would sell more stoves to, like, look at Snoop Dogg's audience? That doesn't really strike me as a solo at, stove kind of an audience at all. <laughs> and I'm not knocking them. I just I don't really get where you were going with that. So that's how I look at it. And if you can blow that money and maybe just to spin the hype wheel, and you're hoping it eventually comes back around, but that's a huge gamble. Oh man! You know I could see like I don't know. You'd have to. I don't know, like Bear Grylls or somebody like that. If you wanted to do some kind of a bait and switch kind with of a campaign with a, someone who's who's more aligned sure. with cooking on stoves outside or yeah. whatever it might be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. I don't know that that would have probably made more sense to me. But yeah, that like I thought it was funny. Like I was like, OK, but that's an odd brand pairing anyway, I think. Man, I literally I, remember I mean, when I first when I saw like the oh he's doing it for a stove. I was like, for a what? A what? A stove? A what? And the the part about it that and I brought this up in in the first episode. Like, I didn't even remember the name of the brand. I didn't remember what it was. I just remember it was a Snoop Dogg joke. I didn't remember anything yeah. about the. It's called what? It's called Solo what? It's like I I had no clue. It kind of went right over my head. I asked all these people around me too, like, do you remember what the brand was at all? Like, no, I actually don't. I don't remember what they were actually talking about at all. And it's like, you're just missing on all these different points over and over and over again. I think it's a real good lesson for anyone who's like looking at that campaign and saying it was a success. It's like, no, because their goal was getting sales. And they have admitted they did not see sales from that whatsoever. Well, if they, yeah, I mean, depends on what, if you, if you're saying it was successful, just cause man, they got a lot of attention. Okay. But 
you still got to sell product. Yeah. And I don't, yeah. and I don't know what they paid Snoop Dogg, but clearly they didn't think it went that well if they parted ways after. They parted they, ways if, and the CMO and CFO resigned. Okay. That's bad. So there, that's, that's your answer right there. Clearly it did not go well. Did <clears> not go well at all that these two huge kind of figures at this company did not at least speak to each other. That's the report I said. They did not even talk to each other about this at all. There was no kind of conversation about how this would impact anything. Millions were spent going out the door. Nothing came from it. And yeah, now Solo Stove is kind of sitting there on the shelf as one of the greatest but worst marketing kind of campaigns you, you'll probably ever see. I mean, I think it set all these records and all this, you know, 600 million impressions to their website and all the other kind of stuff, which is great. But that even speaks to a lot more. You had all this hype and generation going straight to your website, to these, these places where people were supposed to convert and create sales and still nothing came from it. That's really, right. that's bad. That's, that's really, really bad. You had all these people visiting you, you know, they gained a lot of followers on social media and all this other kind of stuff, but it equated to nothing. It equated to almost exactly nothing, which is really, really insane. Right. And if, if, if you didn't even ride it out, like, I don't know what the contract terms were, but if nothing else, you should have wrote it out with Snoop Dogg to complete the story arc yeah. of what, what it is you were trying to do. And then, then maybe, then maybe it comes back around. I don't know, but to just do kind of a one hit wonder approach and then yeah. I don't know. I think you, you hit it on the head when you said they should have done it for like a Super Bowl ad. That would have been a great Super Bowl ad. Yeah. That like something great. like that would have been, been amazing. Yeah. Like it's yeah. something like that would have made, or even like not to, I know this is a controversial topic, but even if Bud Light would have done that can design like during Pride Week or. Yeah. Yeah. If they would have boxed it into a something that made a little. Something. Yeah. Something. <laughs> But that's might on a have... random Wednesday, just oh, we're doing this now. <laughs> yeah, and then and I and I I really don't care. I don't have a problem with it, but but I can see why like the narrative didn't go anywhere and then like clearly it didn't work. Not, so. not at all. Yeah. Well uh but... Mike, thanks thanks for coming on, man. Um this is a pretty cool conversation. Um a lot of similarities in terms of how you started and where you are now and to kind of where I'm somewhat at and hopefully you know we'll get to in the future i appreciate the time and uh thanks for having me on